You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. I have reasons why I think it's best if you can. That's going to stick with me. <laughs> Don't throw that out there right before the podcast. Like you want you want to know why I think it's best if you can? Yeah. Okay. I have a theory about it. Um. That yeah, I have a theory about why it's good. I put my theory to Rogan, and Rogan thinks it's good because he thinks people uh, talk over each other less. It makes it hard to talk over someone else. You know, if you go out to dinner like you and your lady and another dude and his lady, at various times through dinner, it's like for whatever, there's like two conversations going on. Yep. Like you're talking to his wife and then you're talking to your buddy and, and you know, you get less of that effect. You seem to, just in listening to podcasts, you do a good job of people not doing that, that it's one at a time. It's not. I mean, do you, do you see that as a challenge or is that? Yes. You know, just a normal conversation. Like you said, people do that. Well, it's like, it's, it's like a counter. What are you doing? You f- I'm just adjusting levels. Oh, um, <laughs> two fingers. I feel like you got me all loud. <laughs> yeah. It just has, a, it's like a normal chat, but it's, there's like a little bit of discipline to it, you know? Yeah. Imposing the discipline. I cannot believe you guys do this every week or every couple of weeks. 52 a year. We do, we do them and usually we do uh do a batch. Sometimes we'll sit down and we'll so, sometimes we'll take a couple of days and do three or four. We're ready whenever you are. 
Yeah, we released, I think, 102 or 103 of them. That is crazy. Did you listen to the Meat Tree ones? Mm-hmm. Both. Yep. Meat Tree 1 and 2. I listened to Permissions. I've made major changes Permission? in my life. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I've made major changes in my life. Well, uh, Kenyon is, is going to be a pig and shit, pig and mud. You know, I think to so. To go and look at your place because he's full of, like, little ideas about deer. He is, and I think that uh, he is going to see the potential. I mean, and he's going to see the ability to, um, that there are big areas that are just unencumbered. No one, you know, that part, when he when he asked me, like you did, what does that mean? Like, that, that you've never been in there. I'm like, I physically have never been in there. Yeah. And it's big. I mean, it's a big, I mean, 100 acres I've never been in. No one goes in. And the difference between um, Mark and Doug is that Doug's sort of grounded in reality, mm-hmm. where... Doug like looks at properties that need to turn profits. Yeah. So Doug's got like agriculture, forestry. Like <laughs> in Kenyon's perspective, it's like, how are we going to make big giant bucks? <laughs> it is, and we had that. We had that. And Doug, so Doug came and spent a day and a half and came around. He was very nice about some things we've done, things we we and we did do better. And uh, um, he's like, "What's your goal?" And I, you know, I just I said, you know, I you know would like to hold deer and then he got into the conversation about the neighbors you know shooting the deer and not doing it and what bothers you and the same thing i went down that path he immediately took he's like all right time out you know they're gonna move through here and he actually i really mean this he actually convinced me to have a better attitude about it like that it's just gonna happen don't get hung up on it he he, he legitimately convinced me those guys that own yeti yeah coolers yeah i mean their place is unbelievable and they like pride themselves that it's not fence and everything down there is fence, you know, and they won't fence it. Okay. But, but they got one neighbors. Yep. It's one group of neighbors that shoots their that shoots their deer. Yeah. Which is not how the state views it. But um, so it's not, their property's not fence. They point out it's just got a fence because they fenced one property line down South Texas or where? Yep. Okay. One they fenced one line on it. Okay. Because everybody else is practicing similar. Because these guys post up on the, these guys perch up all along that property line. That part, you know, I've heard rumors. I told this to Mark that, you know, the neighbors, the the work we've done on forestry and everything that they called, you know, we've created a deer factory. So they post up a lot of, you see a lot of stands just on the other side. I mean, and they will, because you can bait in Michigan, they'll put, certain you know food items out there that i don't have on my property you know really oh they'll do a pile of apples or i don't have apples and they'll they, i mean they you know during certain times of the year they'll pull deer i mean so they i mean and it's funny i, I was telling that to mark they've got tricks and they they literally you know they know the area where i've logged and 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 the the um, transition areas and you just need I'll to show go you in and put some put something not toxic, but just to taste like shit all over their bait piles. Uh, human hair, salt. <laughs> you heard that? Yeah, human hair. Yeah, human hair is a good one. People do that. Go to a barber shop and sprinkle it along. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that'll keep deer away. That that human hair. I've heard to do that, like little tufts of human. I don't hair. like people's hair in my mouth. No, <laughs> well, I'm not saying to eat it. It's for the deer. No, yeah, I'm telling. I'm with the yeah, deer. Yeah. Um. All right. Ready. Ready. Okay, first thing we're going to do today, uh, everyone introduce themselves. 
as though dealing poker. So um, we'll start with Giannis. Hi, I'm Giannis. I'm here today. Um, just coming off a big, uh, big morning of being all seasick. Like, man. Short morning. Lost a enormous amount of respect for Giannis today. Then going <laughs> down, Mr. Cook. Uh, Matt Cook from Chicago, Illinois. And you're, uh, you're having what? I'm just trying to set the scene. What's in your cup there, your glass? Um, I have a Yingling beer. Oh, really? South Florida, yep. So you poured a beer into that glass. I did. I thought you were having some sort of large glass of uh, bourbon or something. No, oh. no. It's South Florida style. Okay, <laughs> moving along. Uh, Josh Bright from South Florida. I'm drinking Bud Light in the can. In the can. <laughs> Josh Bright, right? Yep, right. How, how do you spell it? B R I G H T. Like you guys, and then Ryan. Yeah. But tell me your name. Ryan Tubbs. South Florida. South Florida, drinking Bud Light from a can. a can. Before we start, you guys are single, like not married. Single. Yep. Girlfriends. Nope. Okay, so we've had good luck in the past by pointing out people's singleness, because then um, female listeners, all five of them. Well, no, no, because there's a lot more than that. Because we, we used to talk about the lack of them, and then they point out that they, that they are out there. Female listeners, knowing now that you're out there, right, and that you're single, will come and find you. Yeah. I have heard that this happens from a man whose initials are BB. You know who I'm talking about? Doesn't matter. I don't. So... <laughs> Uh, Giannis, explain your explain. I, w- I want to start out with you explaining your morning, sort of your state of uh, your state of being and mind this morning. But when it, when my state of being and mind went south, you mean? Yeah, like just your little problem, <laughs> your little problem. Well, we went. Can I tell them what we were doing that made it happen? So yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so we went uh, fishing with uh, Ryan and uh, ran. How far do we go? Uh, 18, 20 miles. 18, 20 miles offshore from uh, Boca Inlet. Boca Inlet. So so you're not so, Ryan, you're not so possessive about your spot so we can say we were 15 to 18 miles off Boca Raton. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Way out. Way out. Pretty far out. Took us a while to get there. It was uh, rough. On my scale of, you know, calm or rough seas, it was rough out there. Would you, did, were you, when we were running, did you think it was rough? Very choppy. Very choppy. Yeah, rough. Rough yeah. would be a good word for it. Yeah. Not like, oh my God, the boat's going to flip, but like just annoyingly rough. Yeah. Rough. From a lot of different directions. Yeah. So we <coughs> ran for at least, it was at least an hour, right? Yeah. On the way out. Um, then we finally got to the spot, started rigging up, and um, we were fishing with a fellow named Nick, um, who I guess you'd call like the first mate in that situation, right? And um, he got everything in the water quickly. I'd say just about the time that bait got down to 1,600 feet, I was like, oh, man, here we go. So this happens yeah, just often like, to me. Just like you spend enough time with a guy, and you sort of get a sense of how they handle situations, and just to see him just like not just staring off into space, man. Did he turn green? I was looking he for the horizon. Even- yeah, we're bringing up a swordfish, and he can't even look over in the direction of the rod. Oh, that was the second one, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, saw that first one come in. 
No, so I swear, I was looking towards the shore. I, you could still see just a few buildings, you know, at that distance. And uh, when I would turn the other direction and look at that rod and where the action was, it was just like those swells were just right behind the rod. And uh, every time I'd see one of those swells roll, I mean, that's all it takes, you know. Yeah, it didn't make me, like, hate you. It made me, um, there was some of that. But mostly it made me just uh, pity you. And, and I felt <laughs> bad for you. Yeah. But tinged with a little bit of disgust. Yeah. Had I, I, was much had I said we need to go in as soon as I got sick, then maybe you'd hate me. No, more pity. More pity. And, then I, my, and I got in such a better mood once he, once he started getting better. You kind of like had a little bit of a throw up, but not really, and felt a little better. No, I finally, you know, because you're running through all these things in your head. Like even uh, Ryan's like, you know, you want to have a dip? That'll make you throw up. You'll feel better, you know? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I already thought about that. But, like, that's too hardcore. I don't really need to start chewing again um, just for this. But uh, then I was thinking about how Ron Layton told us about the salt water. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if I could just pound a glass of salt water and cure myself forever. And right throw now. up, yeah. yeah. And then uh, I said, you know, you're just being a little bitch. You just need to throw up. So I just jammed my finger, my whole hand, as far as I could into my... Oh, that's yep. what you were doing over oh, there. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, you know, you're just like, you're close, you're close, you're close. And eventually you're just like, dude, you know it's going to be better once you get it over with. And as soon as I did it, it's amazing. I mean, but I only got like 10, 15 minutes out of feeling better. And then it sort of <laughs> sunk back down again. But anyways, yeah, got, a little seasick. I just got hit by a mosquito. So we just, uh, uh, that was just a quick teaser into something. We're out in, how, how, do you describe, how do you describe where we're at right now? I mean, we're out in a stilt house. Like, a, like a shack set on pilings out in the... Out in the glades. That's an up and coming, uh, you know, luxury home uh, on stilts. Um, no, it's more of a shack. Uh, six miles into the Everglades, off of just west of Boca and Fort Lauderdale. And a handful of these old places out here, and they they were grandfathered in under some kind of land management plan. Yep, there's in this area. It's a state area. There's about fifteen of different, you know. Uh, you know, levels of complexity. Some are falling down and some are, you know, a little newer and have been remodeled. Um, they are leases that with the state. And so um, everyone out here just got their leases renewed. So um, good for how many years? I think it's 2020. 2020. Oh, so they could feasibly, you could burn, have to burn this place down in two years? They, or it's a 20 lease or goes till 2020? You no, know, it is uh, twenty incremental more years. Oh, so now. you got twenty. Yep. So you just twenty, 20 more yep. years. Oh, yep. So you're breathing easy. We're breathing easy, absolutely. But they've been um, they've been around for I think since the fifties. Fifties, yeah. Yep. And they were, as history said, a lot of people said they were hippie communes at one time. A lot of people have over the years hidden out out here, fugitives. You hear all kinds of stories, <laughs> but what they are now is just for people that enjoy the Everglades, airboating, etc. Yeah, like kind of like you get the sense, and just from conversations with with your your friends here, is that you get the sense that people now buy these more like as beer drinking locations. It's that's part there's of like it. A so, sure. There's like a social aspect to it, even though there's good duck hunting, frog gigging, bowfish and alligator hunting. Yeah, it's not much different than yeah. like a cabin in the North Woods, where supposedly you're going there to you know hunt deer for. A whole week, and some people do that, but a lot of people go up there and drink beer for buy it week. for beer drinking purposes. You know what? It's been described. Someone told me 
a couple of years ago, it's a lifestyle. There's several locals that these don't change hands very often. So um, believe it or not, it's, it's somewhat selective, the people that have them. And so it's a lifestyle. People come out on the weekends. They very often hand them down from one generation to the next. So um, there's a lot of pride in this area and the, the people that have been around for a long time. Yeah, it's it's almost like a little subculture in South Florida. You know, you go three miles east of here and go into town and 90% of the people don't even know it exists. You know, um, I mean, they don't know that there's these little shacks. They, yeah, they, they don't here. they don't know. You know, they know the Everglades are here and the airboats are here. You know, obviously you guys come in and seen the people at the at the lawn at the land we call it the landing yeah you know you see people there watching the sunset gators you know birds etc walking on the levees but they don't really know <clears throat> all of what exists you know there is you know you have some tour boats you know that come out and people do see it from that you know they'll ride them by they'll see it but they see it from a distance and don't really know the whole story of them and really what's gone down here um, it's like when Ryan takes you to see a plane wreck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Takes you to see a plane wreck, and you're like, "What happened? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> when to happen? Yeah. Don't know." No, uh, yeah. I mean, that's you know. <laughs> but I can tell you that it happened. You know, and that's kind of what the you know little special part of it about is out here is it you know having the select you know the the opportunity to do it you know and have the camps and. You know, it's something that's very small percent that actually come here and sit where we're sitting right now doing what we're doing. Yeah, I had talked to Matt, um, you know, our, our one of our special guests here, Matt Cook, some months ago. And he always kind of like mentioned a camp in the Everglades and mentioned frog gigging. But I didn't really, with all due respect, I didn't pay that much attention. I mean, he showed me a picture, but it didn't really like it. Didn't I just didn't have a fr I didn't have a good frame of reference to picture it. So we land, we, we finally agree, like yes, this is something we should come down and check out. And we flew into Fort Lauderdale, and it's not far. I mean, a very short. Like, what's the drive from Fort Lauderdale to the launch? Twenty twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. So like, yeah, you'd be in a big airport, right? Mm -hmm. Direct flight from the West Coast. Uh. Direct, yeah, direct flight from the Pacific Ocean, land in Fort Lauderdale. In 20 minutes, you're at a boat launch. And the first impression I have coming out here is this is the only place I've ever been where people leave their trailer in the water. <laughs> like, it, I'm telling you, I don't know. Like, it is customary around the country, and I have explored it extensively, to launch your boat and then, <laughs> and then drive your trailer up and park it somewhere on dry ground. Kind of out of the way. Yeah, but pure people are like, they back it down, drive their boat off, and they're like, you know, they're going away overnight. It's like, perfect. I'll just leave it right here. <laughs> I'll just leave it right here because this way it's ready for me when I come back. That's probably a function of the airboat, right? The, you can leave the hubs out of the water. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to leave your hubs out of the water, keep keep your bearings in good shape. But um, down here, you know, way we part, you know, putting the boats in the water, you know, that's in this area. A lot of the parts of the state where they airboat, you actually dry launch your boat. You have to, you know, it's <laughs> it's pretty redneck. You kick it in reverse, floor it, smash the brake, and dump the boat off the trailer. Oh, dry launch, <laughs> yeah. like that dry Yeah, launch. you drop it off on the ground because there's not like a, 
you know, we got a nice little incline where we can back in, you know, um, other places that we airboat, we're legitimately dropping our boat in a field more or less. And that's what you got. You know, you just drop it off on the ground, drive off little airboat trail and go through the marsh. Yeah. So we get in and we take off in the airboats and, uh, you guys don't run with, you guys don't run with lights normally because the way the moon is. I don't know if it has to do with whether it's throwing moonlight or not. But, like, you got the whole swamp, which is just black. But the creek or the drainages and the trails look like aluminum foil. Like strips of aluminum foil and the light. And you can just run. But you can see everything perfectly clear. And there's nothing to hit. No rocks. Yeah. Because there's no trees and no rocks. Yeah, there there is some trees. <laughs> you got to know where they're at. <laughs> there are some submerged there are trees. Some, there are some stumps. There are some willow stumps, willow heads, you know, that kind of stuff. We, we've, we've found them before. Yeah, and the interesting thing about running an airboat, too, is there's no prop Yeah, no underwater. Yeah, no, your, your prop is, you know, it's an airplane engine, you know, with a prop up on top of the hull, and you have a rudder, and without... Basically, the difference in an outboard boat, something where you got a skeg down, your only power, you know, the way to turn it is with power. You know, you got a rudder, that's direct and air. When you lift off the gas, then you have no, you, you have no control. So that's why you notice when we're driving, we're on and off the gas, you know. A lot. A lot, you know. And you can run stuff over without maiming it. Yeah. Because we would have killed 20 alligators <laughs> if we had a prop <laughs> yeah. in the water. Yeah. They're manatee friendly. Yeah, it's just like yeah. you just like skim right over. Like yeah. alligators are just kind of like moving under the boat, and at, it took me a minute because at first I'm used to like when you hit something with a with a normal skiff or whatever, I'm used to the you know noise of the prop. Yeah, no. but here it's just like you can just like grease right over. Yeah, everything, and you arrive out here at the camp, and the camp's like up on pilings. Is that what you guys call them? Yeah, piling. Yeah, and you just pull the airboat up. And the, you guys put your seats on them way up high, so you're up looking. I'm, I'm presumably right, so you can see over the grass, right? Yeah, that's a you know, and like I said, you know, as far as like uh, going back to like the culture of the airboating, that's a Southern Glades where we ride Everglades style because we like to be up high in the grass. You that's go, Everglades style. Yeah, you go up further up to the state, and they'll you'll tend to see the boats down l- lower their center of gravity because you'll see more of like a ride boat was what we call. It. You know, we build more of a hunt style boat. Oh, you know, so because you guys are saying you run a Palm Beach style hole, yeah, in an Everglades style seat. Yeah, it's it. Well, it's all you know. It's a the Palm Beach style kind of goes back to you know in the Everglades. You know, going way back into the you know early seventies, sixties when guys were building them, getting into hot rodding them up, building you know hunting boats. They built the brought their rigging up, and then the hull itself is a Palm Beach style boat. You know, um, which is how the hull is designed with the round chine. You know, the boat's actually round in the bottom. Yep. You know, where you have a what they call like a sled style boat has more of a flat side, wider bottom, tends to do better with water. You know, shallower grass. Our boats, going back to the the Palm Beach style hull that we're running, they tend to do better on the dry ground and the thicker. You know, and the thicker stuff. You know, they designed to go where everybody else don't go when did they go off road or yeah there, it's like a it's like a, a sled but best thing you can you know compare it as a sled boat to faster like a hot rod style boat our boat's more like a four-wheel drive style boat 
when did airboat like do you know the history of airboats like when did airboats become a thing hmm i mean i couldn't tell you date you know to the year but i would say developing into what they are what we have now 50s 60s they started getting into you know years ago they a four-cylinder you know airplane motor they used to run them no battery gravity-fed fuel tank you know they put the fuel tank up above the motor and they never rent they didn't run batteries none of that and they hand propped everything you know then started just like in the old airplane days when you yell contact and yeah, yeah. they you know magneto hand prop it and that's how they went you know now and then they started getting in i would say in the your 60s uh 70s you really start getting popular into the six cylinder motors building you know fancying them up a little bit uh you know and now they're going all the way to ls you know all aluminum ls car motors with superchargers and gear reduction and do like hot rods now yeah fuel and electronic fuel injection you know we're we're still we're, we're starting to become considered old school the way our boats are built and you're saying there was a time when guys around here would run whatever kind of airboat and then the boys from palm beach would roll into town and people were like holy shit that's how you ought to make an airboat yeah and then that caught on well the palm the palm beach guys that style boat were like they were known as the you know what one of the sayings was if you told guys from palm beach that there was deer on the moon they would build a machine to get there and that's just the way it was (laughs) that's that's the old saying about it so there's arguments there now there's guys down south in the in the southern part of the glades that argued that the sled and Yo, um, there's other builders. I'm not going to mention them all because <laughs> don't want to start a war down here. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're biased to what we run, but uh, they can, you know, I'll take you and show you what it'll do. And Yeah. And they can bring what they got. And My gripe with them is the noise. I mean, it's so loud you got to wear a headset. And at first I'm thinking – I would just get rid of this son of a bitch and use a canoe. But then you realize the vastness of the landscape. Yeah. That it's just uh I mean, it is huge. Yeah. Like the area is huge. You it's just it's just like it's kind of a way to get I mean, it really opens up a lot. Like I can definitely see it, man. I can hear it, <laughs> but but I can like I can see the appeal for sure because once we went out to look at the 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 downed aircraft today, you realize that it's just the, it just goes and goes and goes and goes, and it's kind of monotonous. It, like the, I mean, like in that, there's not a lot of like uh, there's not a lot of features in some of the areas, and if it weren't for the airboat trails, it'd just be really hard to get around. Yeah, um, you know, you do have chain. You know, like this is an eastern, you know, the eastern side of it. Um, you guys only seen a small percentage oh, yeah, of. Yeah. You know, obviously, when you go further west of us, you'll get into more cypress. You know, cypress swamps, um, that type, you know, actually when you go southwest of us, it'll actually get rockier. You know, they uh, years ago down there, they actually used to wrap the, you know, we have also, went, and you guys haven't, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but we put um, polymer on the bottom of our halls. Okay. You know, so it that helps protect. Also, it's slicker. It helps you run the ground better. Um, and down in the southwest towards Tamiami Trail, uh, you know, big cypress area down in there, they call like the loop and stair step you know they were known to wrap stainless on the bottom and rivet that to their hull to help with protect with rock you know got you um but so every area's got their own little like features for 
to kind of fit whatever sort of yeah there's a little niches about every place you know this this area doesn't have the you know now year going back years ago if you went up to the northwest corner of our area there would be more tree islands as water levels have hired lowered changes you know the tree islands have you know shrunk you know died off that type of deal but for the most part this area you know you ride around you see the little wax myrtle you know you see the little myrtle bushes some willow heads here and there that's about the extent of it here uh, as far as now there is there's a few cypress you know if you go out west of here there's a few little cypress heads and whatnot but this area a lot itself, of grass. yeah a lot of sawgrass you know what from the water surface so the way these guys got the airboat rigged, it's like you're kind of like it's almost like riding a super cub where the driver is right in front of you and the driver's just sitting in a single seat, like a single elevated seat up above the hole. And then behind that single elevated seat, you got like a little passenger area with two, like a little love seat, basically, for two people. <laughs> How high is that love seat from the water surface? Uh, my On my boat, it is it's about 70 inches from the surface okay so you're about six feet up off the water surface and how long is your frog gig 11 foot okay the way these guys gig frogs is like nothing i've ever seen before where you're out in an airboat and the airboat is running and you're just as much as you can creep along in an airboat you're creeping along in the channels and trails headlamping for frogs which you wouldn't think they do but they kind of stand out like a sore thumb when you hit a bullfrog with a with a flashlight just like something about the shine on it and then the yellow throat you can just see them but from the elevated seat you're just like sitting down holding an 11 foot that's a carbon fiber yeah, it's actually graphite it's a graphite, graphite 11 yeah. foot frog gig and you gig them from the seat while moving Yep. Because if you stop the boat, you send, if anyone's ever been in a boat and the boat stops, you send out what's called a bow wave. The bow wave spooks the frog, right? I yep. Presumably. Yeah, they feel, the, you know, they feel the pressure of the wake and they'll go down. So you can't slow the boat down enough to send out a bow wave to spook. You got to like stay faster than your bow wave. And just as you roll by, it's like watching in movies, it's like watching Plains Warriors Lance people. <laughs> from horseback from horseback <laughs> yeah it's like medieval jousting with an 11 foot gig on the move hitting frogs which when i first saw you hit one while also driving i thought um that man just did something that's impossible <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then i learned that it's not it's like something about it it's like it was it's one of those rare things that's easier than it's actually easier than it looks yeah when you first did it, I was like, I just witnessed. Or I'm like, this guy is doing a really good job of acting like he's not shocked <laughs> that, he just, that he just hit that frog while in motion. And you guys, what do you guys call the basket you use to for your frog? Frog shoot. A frog shoot. Yep. Explain that to people. So on the frog shoot on an airboat, it's you know we. Is this, a, is this standard feature on an airboat? Well, I mean, if you're a serious frog gigger, you know, I mean, some guys. Like I said, some guys just come out and ride around, you know, hang out, and that's what they do. But we're, we like to hunt and use them to, you know, we're sportsmen. We like to use them for, obviously, you've hunting seen, and fishing. Yes, what we've done. You guys use a term that I'd never heard. Um, 
you use the term gladesman. Yeah. A gladesman. Now, like up at Chesapeake Bay, a wa- it's a waterman. Just like means like basically a dude that like does a lot of stuff around here yeah. outside. A dude that does a lot of stuff around here outside would be a gladesman. Well, uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, gladesman. Really? You got to do a lot of stuff in the Everglades. <laughs> you know, hence the yeah, gladesman. I don't mean like mowing your lawn <laughs> and shit. But I mean like, yeah, like out and about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you. if you, you know, the gladesman is guys that come out here and. Are you, you a know. gladesman or no? Yeah, I'm a gladesman. Oh, okay. You know, Ryan? Yeah. But you're also an offshore fisherman. I do everything. So yeah. you, you can be an offshore commercial fisherman and a gladesman. I gig frogs, shoot ducks, kill gators. What else do you want? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fish, fish, swordfish. Yeah. Um, yeah, explain the frog shoot. So the frog shoot, basically what I have is it's a six-inch round piece of aluminum that's, you know, they we have a guy that makes them. He cuts out a little V in the... He and makes the, these and sells them. Yeah. How many? Do you have any idea how many he produces? <laughs> a pile of, you know, quite a bit. We actually have an airboat store down here. You go buy all kinds of stuff. It has accessories. Yeah, airboat accessories. Yep. And basically that shoot, that six-inch shoot of aluminum, you know, it's six inches in circumference and then probably 10 inches, you know, tall. Mounted vertically. Mounted vertically on the, I mount it because I, you know, you drop, I mean, 99.9% of airboaters drive with their steering sticks on your left hand and you gig with your right hand so you mount the get the shoot on the right front corner of your grass rake yeah just so people get it looks it's about like a coffee can yeah it's about like a coffee can mounted on brackets in the in the in the in the um bow starboard corner yeah which is that that big the which we call grass rake what goes the big uh you know kind of the ramp. Yeah, the yeah. ramp in front of the boat, and that helps push the grass down. Um, so basically what the frog shoot does, it just increases your efficiency. You don't have to grab them by hand, pull them off, or none of that. You just stick the gig in there. It goes into a little slot. You pull it back, and the frog drops down into a, like a laundry bag is all we use. Yeah, so like the, the mesh bag, so it's like a picture of a coffee can, and picture that someone cinched a sack around the uh, cinched a mesh sack around the bottom of the coffee can. So anything that falls in the coffee can falls in the bag. Yep. And then there's a V-notch. And it's I've... more complicated than this, but there's a V-notch. <laughs> there's a V-notch cut into the coffee can. So when you, you got a lanced frog, you drop the frog into the coffee can, and the V-notch is where the, the gig, the spear, falls down in that V-notch, and it enters like a little hole, and then you just tug the spear, and yep. the frog into the sack yep and it's like a wink of the eye <laughs> and that's a part a lot of people don't like about frog gigging is taking frogs off the gig yeah well that's it is slick yeah and you guys can stack up hundreds of frogs yeah a good night you know i mean we'll do you know in a good night i'll come out two hours and you know me myself i expect to gig you know 100 frogs in two hours you know that's a good you know normally i can come out two hours don't burn a bunch of fuel, get my 100, go home. You know, if I really want to go get crazy, we have gone out and gone all night, and you can get three, 400 when the condition, you know, when the water level's right. When conditions are right. Yeah, because they like a stat. You know, if there's a lot of rain, a lot of moving water, fresh water, we tend not to do as well. When we get more stagnant water, more, you know, that's why I kind of like the late winter months when we're not, get, you know, we're in a kind of a dry season. Yep. The longer that water gets stagnant and stay, it just seems, 
you know, we get more and more frogs get out into the, because as the water's dropping, you know, as you got to understand as the. Oh, they're getting pushed out yeah, of all the, it concentrates the them. Yeah. They come out, they got to feed, they eat minnows, crawfish, bugs. You know? But I noticed you guys kept saying that the, were you saying the frogs are up or high? What were you saying? You guys got a term you use. Frog. Meaning like shitloads of frogs, but yeah. you'd say, say what? frogs are up. You know, that's when we say they're up, that means, you know, you're starting to see them. Okay. I didn't know if you meant that the population in general is up or you just mean they're available right now. It means like it's available right now. It's like good it's, frogging it's, yeah, it's right good now. Yeah, it's good frogging. So what's happening is the as the water levels drop, they need to le like areas that were once wet are now dry. Another thing I had no idea about that we, we talked about out frog gigging last night was the idea of a gator hole. The yeah. ex the areas they excavate. Yeah, they'll go in. A gator will go in and he'll wallow. You know, he'll wallow himself an area and he'll keep wallowing it until the point that. A lot of times, um, the you know the the roots from lily pads, you know, there's actually a root down there, and it'll break off, and then the little mud clump will float up. Yep. You know, and he'll have a little hole in there, and then he'll, you know, he'll live in that hole. That's his sanctuary. That's are they feels. territorial about those things? Uh, if you get a bull, you know, a male gator, you know, I've seen a male gator stay in a hole, and you know, until you either if it's hunting season and we kill him out of there, he'll stay in there and guard that area. You know, and because he, you know, he's going to, that's his little sanctuary. Just like a white-tailed buck has his little home range, a uh, gator's going to kind of do the same thing out, you know, out here for the most part. I've noticed other parts of the state where the gators are a little bit more nomadic. but Here they'll hang tight. Yeah. And it, what, it has an interesting function, too, because as he excavates that hole and the water levels drop, he's got a place to live, but, man, it collects fish. Yeah, that's it's uh, it's it's pretty important for other wildlife and you know, fish, turtles, you know, as the water goes down, you got, you got to imagine you have six inches of, of water around and muck, and then there's a four foot deep hole, you know, the fish that haven't made it to the canal, to the perimeter canals, and yet they'll go to that deeper water, you know? Yeah. And that also provides that gate. I, mean, uh, I mean, the way I look at Gator, he ain't too stupid because He's got him a perfect little spot. Yeah, to sit he's got a place peace. to live, and all the food has to come <laughs> live in there. It's a win-win situation for him. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip. 
but they understand the convenience and discretion modern day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. If I opened a bar, I wouldn't do it around here. But if I opened a bar somewhere else, I would call it the Gator Hole. <laughs> is, there, is, there a, um, is there a bar called the Gator Hole? Uh, not to my knowledge, but that's, you know. Tony, well, I wouldn't do it here because people would think you were trying, you know, that's... people here would think you were, right, like some outsider calling it a gator hole. It'd be like you were a poser. But say you were up in somewhere else, some other part of the country, and you started a bar called the gator hole. Yeah. I'd yeah. drink there. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be bad. <laughs> I still <it>. drank. <laughs> so we gigged frogs. Now, another question about frogs. Um, and Ryan, feel free. I'm going to get to you hot and heavy. So you can sit this one out if you want, because we're going to cover you up and down on this whole swordfish situation. But, um, why do you guys, not why, cause I understand now, but can you explain how you clean your frogs? So the way you do it is you'll take a knife, you grab him by his legs, you'll kind of pinch his legs together. So yep. he's straightened out. And if you hold them, you'll see a little arc in their back. Yep. You know, where they're bone arcs. And you take a knife, just slice it, you know, slice his skin. And then you stick your finger in that, you know, down in the little hole that you made. And you peel back, you know, peel all the way back. Pull his, my, my old man taught me when I was a little young and pull his pants off. Oh, yeah, said. that's what yeah. we taught. We can, yeah. yeah, skin <laughs> yeah. and squirrels, you pull their pants and you yeah. their shirt off, yeah. man. <laughs> pull, so what you do is you pull his pants off all the way down. And then, when, you know, you pull the skin all the way down past his feet. And then you grab underneath his belly and you'll actually tear the belly. You know, if you do it that way, you can, it keeps everything cleaner. You know, some guys, and I used to do it, you know, I did it a couple different ways, but I've just cut the legs off and then do it. See, that's how, that's how I've always seen it done. And that's how we always do it. Well, I'll show you another way to do it. But if you, you know, the way I'm trying to explain, if you cut it, pull the pants down past his feet and then reach up in his belly 
and you can actually just pull, you know, the little muscle, you know, around his belly and just pull the gut out and everything will be attached to his head and you just snap his head, you know, just spin his head and it'll pop right off. And you got a clean set of legs. And you guys leave the feet, the fingers, yeah, attached to the leg. That's the best part. There's pros and cons, but <laughs> there's pros and cons. The pro being, I'm with you. The the little toes, the fried up toes are good. Yeah, it's just like you, you equated it. One of you guys equated it to fish fins, catfish fins, right? Yeah, like when you fry a small bluegill or whatever and leave his tail on there. But appearance wise. I could see that some people might, some people who were sort of on the fence about frog eating might see the toes, especially a whole basket full of them, and, and it would tip them in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, if I, you know, I mean, if, if we got some ladies around and they want to eat frogs, a lot of times we'll cut the feet off. You find that ladies... Are less inclined to want the toes on there. Yeah, it looks like <laughs> it looks like Freddy Krueger's like ugly brother on the yeah, end. Yeah, it does. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's like little a little basket of Freddy Krueger's little brother fried. <laughs> After frog gigging, we set out to do a little bow fishing, and I have if people. If like people were I where I grew up, bow fishermen where I grew up, would they wouldn't even know how they wouldn't know how to begin comprehending the number and size of gar down here. It's unbelievable. We never even flung an arrow at a gar though. But like up here's the here's what I'm tra- I'm, I'm trying to get to this. In most parts of the world, most parts of the country bow fishermen are not generally shooting this is i'm speaking generally bow fishermen are not generally shooting fish that are that good to eat right like the like yeah. people shoot a lot of common carp like common carp's the main thing people go after and of course like common carp were introduced into this country into many waterways as a food source like people thought that as native fisheries collapsed from overfishing and habitat destruction so like, well, here's this very durable, fecund fish that gets big. People will eat it. We'll sort of replace the fisheries that we ruined with carp, and then everybody would be happy. But carp have never, even though you know they raise them and eat them in Asia, they're just not popular here. So where I grew up, people fished carp, bowfish for carp, and would often just discard the fish because now they're considered like a deleterious non-native, and people want to see, would like to see. It's never going to happen would like to get rid of the carp. But the one fish that sort of like has like a fairly good reputation is uh, long-nosed gar. Is yeah. sh- you guys have, these are long-nosed we gar have long, yeah, yeah, we have long-nosed. But, but these gar are shaped like footballs. Yeah, they're fat. Yeah, like I, I, I'm used to gars that look like gars. <laughs> yeah well they're feeding good Dude, right now these too. gars are unbelievable <laughs> it's like yanni said it's like a football with a with a swordfish's nose coming out of them yeah. huge gars but you guys don't mess with them you don't know nah, we don't we don't you know we don't really mess with them do so you know guys that like to eat them i mean i've heard of guy you know certain people what they'll do with them is like you know they'll actually like scale them and then boil the meat out of them and they'll make like a patty out you know put some onion pepper and 
you know, make almost yeah. like a little patty. Well, like garballs. Yeah. I mean, but we don't, you know, we haven't messed with them. I mean, you guys I, have so much other stuff to eat. Yeah, I'd rather eat a frog. When I've done them, like, you take, like, you take 10 snips. Have you ever, I don't, you, maybe you've never tried this. You take 10 snips and just cut up the back, you know, all the way up the back, and then you cut. So, so you got, like, you picture the whole guard laid out like, like your arm, right? And you cut a big, long strip up what would be, like, his dorsal fin, the whole length of the fish. And then you snip the ends of that long strip and just peel the the top part away. Peel the hide off to the right and off to the left and just remove the back straps, which is where all the meat is on a gar. And you got these big, long cigars of meat. And people will make gar balls out of those. Or you just, you just chunk them up and fry them. It's not that bad. But that was, the, that was like, in, in, in Michigan, that's like the best fish that you're allowed to shoot with a bow would be a gar. But here, you can bow fish for fish that people buy in restaurants. Yeah, tilapia. You got tilapia, and then we also have, in some of our canals, which we, you know, last night where we were bow fishing, we, I mean, there's, we've seen a few, but not many. Um, and a lot of our, more of the urban canals, they'll have uh, bullseye snakehead, which is, you know, actually becoming a highly targeted fishery. You know, a lot of guys are, you know, they're big into catching them rod and reel, but we actually got into shooting them, um, which Matt's been with us on that. And we've had some, you know, incredible snakehead shoots. I mean, you know, load the box tilapia snakeheads, and, and they get pretty sizable. You know, they look like a little mini cobia is what I always say. Kind of. Like, yeah, what is a big snakehead? Nine, eight, nine pounds, you know, and they'll get, you know, two and a half, three feet long. And a big know. tilapia is what, two? Yeah, two, two to, you know, like the, you know, a couple that you had killed last night. Those are pretty sizable fish. Yeah, know? no, they're like really substantial. Yeah. And it's just weird to be able to shoot. Not weird because I mean, I've done it in South America, but um, where you can shoot like great table fare fish. Yeah. So to be able to go out and bow fish for tilapia, even though tilapia are, you know, non native, a non native fish, do you know how long they've been in these waters, tilapia? Um, I've seen them around since I was a kid. Oh, so they've, you know, okay. yeah, they've so been not here. A new, it's not yeah, a new they've thing. They've been here for quite a while. Yeah. And they dig a nest, like, I'm trying to think of the closest example that, like, most guys would know. Picture, like, a bluegill nest, a bluegill bed, but they dig it where it's, it, it's almost deeper than it is wide. Yeah. It's like a bolt, like a crater. Is, a crater is a good yeah. way of putting it. They dig a crater and guard that crater. But the problem for bow fishing is a lot of those craters, like there's a, when you're trying to hit fish with a bow, you're like dealing with refraction. I'm not telling you this. I'm just telling like Joe Blow listener that you're dealing with refraction. Like if you ever stuck a stick in the water, right? The stick looks curved. So when you're aiming at a fish, you don't aim at the fish. You aim way, you aim below and generally you don't aim low enough. It gets worse and worse and worse the deeper, deeper you go. So these craters are four feet down three feet down, four feet down, and it gets to be very hard to hit the fish down there because the arrow slows down so bad, you know. Yeah. And then the thing's too deep. But we caught some up in the shallows where yeah. they're just a few inches under the surface. Yeah, we caught them slipping. And then you wind up with like, you know, one and a half, two pound fish that's like a restaurant, like a restaurant grade fish. Yep. Yeah, people are buying them in the, every day, you know, down here. You go into Publix or, you know, local supermarkets that are down here, and they sell them all, you know, 
probably one of the most popular fish that people go and buy, you know, every day. So is it unusual that we didn't see anyone bow fishing last night? Uh, no, nah, you don't see a whole lot. You know, it's it's not, you know, down here in South Florida, the, I mean, there's guys that do it. You know, there's a handful of guys. I know a few, but it hasn't really taken off to the point that you, when you go out that you actually see other people. You know, I, I've been doing it now for what's what we've been doing seven eight years because actually matt you know i hadn't really gotten into it until matt came down and we he <laughs> we funny story is we were out fishing we were snakehead fishing is what we were doing and matt had brought some bows and he come up with the idea and i said oh well, i know a place where i know there's fish there we go do it we went out that night and they, i mean we sh you know they shot till their fingers were so, you know, it was just uh, that the first night we did it was, you know, we kind of found a little canal and they hadn't been fished, you know, bow fished before. So it was just, you know, as fast as you can shoot, as fast as they can get arrows back on there. And, you know, and then from there, he was the one who kind of really entered, got me into it. I've always, you know, been, had interest and in it messed around a little bit, but it wasn't like go out and do it. And then he got me into it, and I started, Ryan and I, buddies of ours, I mean, we started, it was a great time to go, you know, summertime, you know, we all, we like to deer hunt, bow hunt, and it was a great time to go pass time in the summer, and we started go out there, get some beer, and go out, get on the john boat, and go bow fishing, and I mean, we were doing it all the time, you know, so. I think, I feel like it'd be like a, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I feel like it'd be like a bow fishing destination place. Well. Because there's endless water. Yeah, I think the logistics are complicated too in some of the areas. I mean, it's not there's not a lot of the places are not necessarily the best places are near a boat launch, like we went last night off of the airboat. You know, that's uh, you know, it's tricky to get over there. So I think that can't be underestimated. Some of it's tricky. Do you? Hey yeah, Matt, can I interrupt you? Yep. I want you to ask yourself: um, Is my microphone really just two fingers off my upper lip? It is exactly two <laughs> fingers off your upper lip. I've been admiring it. What he's saying is yours might be just a little far, but see, the thing is, Matt, he's got... He sounds good. Are you saying I have fine. fat fingers? No, there's, I'm there's saying your mic is, is poorly placed. You're, it is. I think your ear is farther away from your mouth than the rest of us. That's, that's absolutely possible. Yeah. Is that better? A little closer. A little, a little closer. closer. Okay, you're now good. we're you're, one and a half fingers. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah, no, I yeah. like it now. <laughs> uh, logistics. It's complicated down here. You know, with the camps, obviously the only uh, it's only accessible by the airboat, and so um, between that and getting into the canals, when the water level and we'll talk a little bit, <laughs> the water level changes quite a bit here. So you really got to know the area. Have a local that can kind of put you on the right spots and that's how josh and i came together around bowfish and down here yeah do yeah if you just rolled in cold here I, it, it'd be a tough yeah, it'd, take it'd be a tough years it'd be tough yeah. years it's <laughs> you get home it rolled in cold and be years for what to just kind of figure it out oh figure everything out yeah bowfishing i disagree because bowfish is bowfishing if you got a good bow fishing boat and you got all these canals, any anyone's going to find the canals. That's true. I guess they. Yeah, I, guess, I guess they are in the canals, really, more than like out in the grass where you've been running, right? Oh yeah, that would be a little, that would be difficult for people to figure yeah. out. But to go hunt the big primary big canals. Yeah, with, you you pretty much down here. If you got any freshwater canal, 
you know that and that is what's you know kind of gold about it is you can in south florida if it's public water you got a public boat ramp and any of these canals you can go put in and you're going to see fish that you can you know non you know obviously it's got to be a non-game fish so you, you can't know, shoot largemouth bass. No, yeah, no bass, um, you know, no bluegills, that kind of, you know, you can shoot catfish. Uh, you know, you got down here, if you, you know, if you go, like I said, you get a little bit east of here, you go to some of the, you know, where you guys drove in down that road, that canal that, there, you can go in there and shoot tilapia uh, and snakeheads, and, catfish. Uh, and Oscars. Oscars, yep. And, and Which that's, is a native fish. Um, Isn't it? I don't think an Oscar is native. Oh, so that's another no it's okay. a non-native. You got so the, the snakeheads are introduced non-native. Yeah, you have snakehead. The tilapia are introduced non-native. The Oscars—that's some kind of crazy South American yeah. cichlid or something. And then you have a Mayan cichlid. Mayan. Cichlid. And then we also have peacock bass, which the uh, can you shoot those or those? No, can, see the state regards those as game. What's fish? crazy is the state has actually got a tougher regulation. Like if you were to go fishing, rod and reel. You can only keep two peacock bass, even though they're non-native, and they're non-native. But you can you can kill five largemouth bass, so that's how they've you know it, it, you know I guess it's kind of a that's pretty that's interesting. Yeah, which uh you know obviously a peacock bass is in the cichlid family. You know a cichlid and mine cichlid peacock bass are related, yep. so you can't go shoot a peacock bass. It's considered a game fish here. I'd like to hear the logic on that. Besides the people really like them. And have you ever eaten one of those? It's a good fish, man. And we were down, we were in South America. They they have a smaller, they have peacock bass, but they're not like the giants. Like they'd be like four or five pounds. And man, they grilled some of those one time and unbelievably good fish. Like one of the best, like almost as good as like snook, you know, like a very good fish. I got a pretty good story on a peacock bass. Please. So when I was little, little guy. We used to live on C14, which is in in town here in Margate, Florida. And my dad's an avid, you know, I grew up, my dad's a gladesman, airboater. That's who I've learned everything he's, you know, everything I've known. And he was an avid bass fisherman. Well, he was fishing C14. Like foul mouth bass, large mouth bass. Large mouth bass, yeah, yeah. you know. So he was in C14, which is pretty good for peacock bass fish. And he catches like a close seven-pound peacock, which is. Pardon me, what is C14? It's a canal. Canal system. It's Got also it. an explosive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he. I think it's C4. Yeah. No. Is it C4? Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. C4. He catches this, you know, trophy peacock, you know, seven pound class. And I actually, uh, growing up, my, we had a nanny and she was from South America. And my dad had put the fish and he was taxed. My dad was a taxidermist at one time. So he had put the fish in the freezer and was keeping it that he wanted to get it mounted. And I come home from school and I'm something, I mean, it's just the smell of the house. I'm like, man, it's, you know, I guess she's cooking fish or something tonight. And I walk in there and look in the pot and there's this peacock bass in there. <laughs> and it's boiling. My dad ain't home yet. And I'm looking in there. I'm like, her name was Vera. I said, Vera, where'd you get that fish? Oh, it was in the freezer. I said, ooh. This ain't gonna go good. <laughs> Needless to say, she don't. She won her nanny no more after that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, she lost her job over the, yeah. over a bath. Hey, you know, it's a trophy's a trophy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, we, uh, and, uh, none of us. We all went out. I think we went to Checkers that night because <laughs> it was pretty gnarly looking. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
have you okay we're always hearing about snakeheads because snakeheads keep turning up in new locations because like it's a it's a fish people buy it for their aquariums um i think that's like tightly regulated now or more regulated than it was people buy snakeheads for their aquariums the snakeheads get bigger 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 they're hard to feed hard to take care of they outpace the size of their tank and people decide to get rid of them so they keep popping up in new places um, like if you follow, if you like read about wildlife news, you'll always be reading stories about some new drainage that, that people have found snakeheads in. But then it, w- when you go talk to people who are in a snakehead area, it doesn't seem like it's very often that they're like, that they reach like the levels that carp have reached. Like, do you see, is it still like kind of a rarity or do you ever see places where it's just nothing but snakeheads? Oh, when they get in, which we have a bullseye snakehead and you know they're asia from asia and when they get into a um you know i used to work on a golf course and at, at you know earlier years great bass fishing and whatnot and we started noticing you know caught one on a top water plug and you know when i first seen it i'm like what the heck's this thing i you know start figuring it out and once we've seen the first one it just from there it exploded and then you know and like i said before it's like gotten to like this crazy little colt that goes and chases these things they love fishing for them and you know they, which it was in coral springs florida just west or uh, just east of here i'm sorry but the that it's when they show up they're so aggressive you know i i would say like peacock we used to complain about we don't i don't necessarily i'm not fond of the peacock bass because they get into a bat i'm a largemouth bass guy and when a peacock gets in there they're you know twice at least twice as aggressive as our largemouth and they ha- they, and they kill ha- the largemouth well they'll hammer the bait fish you oh, know okay. so that kind of you know it'll you know they can't a largemouth just can't compete with a peacock as, as far as aggressiveness yeah and the uh, the bullseye snakeheads i'll say is is even more aggressive you know uh great fish to catch i mean some of the most explosive top water you know what's neat about them is you got to fish uh, you fish like a frog bait and fish it as close to the bank as you could possibly get it without touching the bank, and that's how they'll eat it. And, you know, so once you see it, once they showed up, I mean, they've exploded. And once they get into a lake or a canal system, it's almost like they'll overrun it, you know? Oh, so you do see that happen? Yeah. Okay. Because that's certainly, like, the story you hear, but I haven't heard But I haven't heard a lot of cases where people had, like, seen it reach those proportions. Yeah. Yeah. You had a, you had a thought, Yanni? Well, it was just interesting that we were in Maryland this fall, and on this coast but still a long ways from here and they were uh into catching snakeheads up there and he a guy we met a guy i don't want to say his name you don't know his name i know what he goes by (laughs) oh that's right he did have a big sign on the side of his truck no he told us what he goes by he told us they call me the whisperer the x the whisperer (laughs) so he gets to telling us how, th- th- listen, this is like so many layers of like, th- no, you know what? We, okay, we heard it from a man who supposedly witnessed it. He knew some guys who were doing, I- are you familiar with selling glass eels? So do you guys have the American eel around here? Um, do you have a freshwater eel? Yeah, we got freshwater. Freshwater eel. Yeah. It's called the American eel. Now, American eels, like a, 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 a salmon is anadromous, meaning it 
goes from the ocean and runs up a river to spawn. That's an anadromous fish. The American eel is catadronous. It goes from the rivers out into the ocean to spawn. There's not a lot of fish that do that. American eels go all the way to the Sargasso Sea. And they they congregate and spawn in the Sargasso Sea. And then they... Where's that? Off, like, like out off from the Caribbean. A very deep area, like a, like a very deep area of the ocean. It's kind of, without looking at the map, it's hard to explain. But if you shot from here, if you shot from here, kind of like through the Caribbean off that away, it's like where everything gets deep. Basically, everything that drifts down, down, down winds up in this place called the Sargasso Sea. Eels, con- all the eels from all these rivers congregate there and spawn. And then they have a larva that just free floats. And eventually, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when they go back into the rivers and start going up, they're called, I think they, at that point, they call them a glass eel. And eels are very popular in Asian restaurants. So if you go to a sushi joint here, you're always eating eel. Unagi, which is smoked eel. Now, aquaculture, they can raise the eels in aquaculture facilities, but you can't successfully spawn the eels out there. You need to start with a wild-caught, they need to start with wild-caught glass eels or wild-caught juvenile eels. So there's a market for these wild-caught juvenile eels, which people net up and sell for shitloads of money, and a lot of people poach them. And then they go into these aquaculture facilities, and you can raise the eels up. So this dude's telling us that he knew a dude who's in the business of, of, of marketing and raising eels. And one day he looks in this guy's eel tank. This is a dude telling me and Yanni this at a gun range. Remember this? He says he peers down into the eel tank and lo and behold, it's not eels. And he says, the hell is that? He goes, oh, that's a fish called a snakehead. I'm, I've been raised, this the guy tells us, I've been raising them and letting them go. Why would you do that? And he says, well, and he kind of walks through, this is a waterman in Chesapeake Bay, and he walks through his family's history with fisheries that have collapsed and become overregulated. So he's like, we used to be able to catch X blue crabs, now we're screwed. We used to be able to do X with clams, now we're screwed. We used to do this, now we're screwed. Here's one fish that no one's ever going to tell me not to catch as many as I want. And that's where he, in this waterway, that's where this feller claimed that that was how this is happening. It wasn't from the aquarium trade. It wasn't from people throwing out onesies, twosies here and there. That it was a concerted effort on behalf of some gentleman to... um, Introduce it. Yeah. Because, wow. and it already does. There's, it already has commercial outlets and commercial value. Because the feller we met actually sells the things to a restaurant. Is it under that name at restaurants, or is there a different? Yeah, and I don't want to name who. See, this, this story starts to make its own gravy. Because, yeah, so... It started to get, a guy started selling it and he got really good reviews and like the hot ticket item and now this guy can't get enough of it. And he's buying it for seven bucks a pound, isn't he? It was something like that. It was high, yeah. Seven bucks a pound. 
So that's what got this. So that's what that's what this guy says is driving this whole snakehead thing. Now this could just be like a crazy guy at a gun club, which there are plenty of, or it could be like the real dope. But Ryan, you already have been telling you're going to be in the hot seat. He did tell us. I want to. Oh. I want to finish on though. He did tell us, and it would be interesting to try, especially since we've been talking a little bit about live bait this last couple of days. But he was saying that the thing not to do is roll into a spot where you know there's a few and just start chucking a lure or two in, but just pitch out a handful and get a little frenzy going. And then he said, he said you can just sit there and fish every single one out of the hole. Yeah. So the sar- like the Sargasso Sea, I'm looking at a. It would be, it's eastern, it's western edge would be due east of here. About like beyond the Bahamas. It's just, yeah, and it's just like apparently like like as things go down, like eels go down, 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 down. They eventually <laughs> wind up like in the deep spot, and that, and then they free cast this larva, which finds its way all up and down the the. And these eels are have wide distribution. But back to you. Now, this is something I had, listen, I, I knew all about shooting fish with bows. I knew all about all this kind of stuff, but I had no idea. Until I came down here, until last night, I was unaware of the type of swordfish fishing that you do. Can you explain, Ryan, can you explain commercial sword fishing, how it's practiced here? We'll start by saying how it's practiced north of here. North of here, they long line, which they'll set anywhere from 10, 20, 30 miles of long line. And varies on how many hooks they want to fish or whatever. They, I mean, I know some of them, they're fishing up to 1,000 hooks or something like that. Farther north of there, they harpoon them. I guess it's up in Nova Scotia or something like that, where they actually get on the surface and they have you know, spotter planes and towers on the boats and big pulpits, and they actually go out, and that's how they catch them, just with a Yeah, harpoon. I've talked to guys who've done that with spotter planes, like harpooning, like this is up in Montauk, Montauk, They do that New on York. the blue fence, too. Okay. But then there's a line south of which you can't long line. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the line's like 200-something miles east of Port Canaveral. Okay. You got to be north of that, and so f- so many miles east, and you can long on. But once you get south of there, you can hand gear fish. So you, basically, you got a buoy with a strobe light. Hold up, because here's the other part of this I need you to explain. Um, swordfish are down in the daytime at what depth? I mean, they could be anywhere from. As long as it's dark, I guess, seven, eight hundred feet of water, all the way out to, I don't know, two, three thousand feet. We and fish them around, you know, anywhere from fourteen hundred to eighteen hundred. Fishing them in the daytime. In the daytime. But at night, they must just spiral. They spiral upward and come up to the surface. Did something just happen? The generator, I think, just shut oh, is off. Is that what that noise was? Uh, sorry. But at nighttime, they must just spiral upward and come up how close to the surface? I mean, we've seen them on the surface, but most of the stuff we're fishing is around 100, 200 feet of water. Okay. So explain your your commercial swordfish gear. 
basically you got a, they call it a jap ball which is just a hard plastic ball with a 10 pound lead on the bottom so it keeps it upright then it's got a stem that's probably i don't know about a foot and a half long and then it's got a strobe light that takes 2d batteries and you put that on the top so so, so it's a, a, a buoy with a like a like a, yeah like i said like a buoy with a strobe light sticking up out of it right so you can see it at night okay and then normally you put another light on there in case the strobe light breaks or you know just easier to see it and then from the buoy you'll have i use like 150 foot of they call it um tar line which is basically like a just a cheap kind of rope that goes to a long line clip which is basically some kind of a swivel and then you put a leader which is about 100 foot then in between there, you got another swivel, and I clip my light onto there. That goes to as uh, an attractant. Yeah. And then you can fish, you know, any kind of bait you want. I like using a lot of squids or uh, mackerel, Spanish mackerel, Boston mackerel, tinker mackerel, something like that. And then you go out, and basically you're jug fishing. You go out and start throwing these buoys overboard. And they're not connected to each other. So if you can't find one, she's probably gone. Like gone, gone. Yeah, if your lights break or whatever. Sometimes we've had some of the leads get ripped out of the balls and the you know ball flip upside down, and you know you never find them again. Gotcha. But you go out and set how many of these? How many? Like so? So you're driving out to fifteen hundred feet of water. We go a little deeper because we'll set from the east to the west, so we'll be anywhere from. 2,000, 1,800, and then set all the way in to about 900 foot. Maybe. It depends on the current. Sometimes the current pushes you. It'll always push you north, but sometimes it'll push you, you know, east or west. And how many of the, how many of, the of the buoys do you throw out with the hooks on them? I fish 32. 32 rigs. Stretched out over what distance? It's probably close to five miles. Why so far apart? I mean, they're really only about a tenth of a mile apart. So we got, I don't know, they're covering more water. So when you, okay, this, this is like, so you start out, your, your furthest one is 20 miles offshore. And your closest one to shore is 15 miles offshore. And between those two points, you have strung out 32 buoys with line, a leader, and bait, and a J-hook on the end. And they got lights on top. When you're at any particular buoy, can you look and see the buoys in either direction? If you're in the middle, you can almost see your inside. If you're on the, ah, you can't really see it all. But you can usually see whatever one's next. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you could see probably 10 or 15 in a row, something like that. Oh, okay. So you're seeing like a considerable distance Yeah, it there. depends on if it's calm or not, too. You know, if there's, if there's, you know, the moon's full. You can't really see as many as far. You know, you might only see a few, but. And you set this rig out there, or this big collection of rigs, you set it out there after dark. Yeah, we'll start, like, right at sunset. You know, it takes about an hour, hour and a half. To get them all in the water. And then you're drifting at what speed? It varies in the Gulf Stream. I mean, some nights you'll have, you know, two knots of tide. Some nights, you you know, the tide will be raging. We'll be, you know four or five knots almost i mean that's fast but i've seen it 
And are you just cruising up and down, keeping an eye on all the buoys? Yeah. Yeah, you got to... Normally, we'll go and throw all the buoys, hang out, eat a sandwich, and then we'll kind of start going out to the end, whatever fish we got. We'll catch them, throw them in the boat, clean them, and then pack them with ice, and then we'll go out and start checking them from the outside in. So how do you, what tells you when one of these buoys hits a fish? They'll go east, west, um, north, south. I mean, most of them, somewhat, they'll kind of have a line. You know, definitely have different currents where stuff just goes everywhere. And so, so you're you knowing that the swordfish has hit one of them is not based on that it's bobbing, but just that it's traveling in a weird direction. Right. Or you'll pull up to them; they'll be half, you know, buoy will be halfway underwater. You'll see it spinning. Like sometimes, you know, you have fish on there that are dead and they're not really pulling, so you won't see like a wake behind it. The buoy will just kind of sit there and spin real slow as you're driving past it. Okay. And then you'll know, like, there's something on there. And what's a big swordfish? Five, six hundred. And what's a small swordfish? Um, I mean, I caught one the other night. I don't think it weighed five pounds. Oh, that you find them that small? Yeah. Wow. I mean, not often. That was the smallest one I ever seen. Yeah. It was tiny. And at night, do the sharks tear the swordfish up? Or is it not as bad at night? Yeah, I've had it happen a couple, maybe five or six times but not too not too often it's not as bad as it'd be in the daylight yeah i've never had one really messed with in the daytime oh, okay so here's just not that much of an issue no because you were talking about fishing yellowfin that they'll sometimes you'll lose fish to sharks oh yeah oh, those sharks are on the yellowfin so and they got like a feeding frenzy going and those tunas, they'll pull off so much line, you're pumping them up, and they're kind of in a circle, like, you know, spiraling up real slow, and the sharks will get on them real bad. Gotcha. But they don't hit the swordfish that bad. Not too much. And, like, what's a – so when you're out doing commercial sword fishing like this, what is – like, what's what's a bad night and what's a good night? Bad night's obviously when you catch nothing. So that can happen? It's happened. I mean, a good night, you catch anything over five, 600, it's good. I mean, you catch over 1,000, real good. But you're talking dressed weight. Yeah, all dressed out. Yeah, can you can you explain to people like how you dress a swordfish? Basically, they're gutted. All the fins come off, the head comes off, and then they're gutted, and, every, you know, heart, every, everything on the inside comes out. And then there's a bloodline that goes... From all the way to the head, all the way to as far back as like the gut cavity goes, you just take a knife and run it down there. Then there's a little bloodline. You can kind of stick your finger and pop that up. Yep. Use a little wire brush and just clean it out. And then pack it in crushed ice. Yeah, and then just pack it with ice. And like, what's a so when you talk about the weight that you're selling, you're talking about that weight. Yeah. What you you had a word for what you call those things? Cord. We call them. Just say it's cord out cord out and you fill your coolers up and you're not like in what would strike people as a commercial vessel i mean you're like in a, you're in a 27 basically like a sport fishing boat like a 27 foot sport fishing boat right yeah because i fish tournaments and i charter fish i mean it's kind of like a you know do all everything kind of boat. but you can pack a thousand pounds of cord out a thousand pounds of swordfish core on a boat yeah. And that's a good night out. That's a real good night. Yeah. Like the other night, we caught 1,500 pounds. I mean, we had all fish packed there. Anywhere you can have a box and ice in it, we had fish in it. 
And that's a really good night. That's the best night I ever had. And then you take them in, and, and how do you sell them? Basically, just pull up at the fish market. I mean, obviously, I leave all the fish in my boat. It makes it a lot easier. You ain't got to touch them two, three times. But you pull up you there. Mean you pull your boat out of the water and put it on a trailer. And, yeah, yeah, I just drive it over to the fish market. And then. Um, and do you know the price before you go out and do this? No, sometimes you get screwed a little bit. But, I mean, if you got a lot of fish, there's it's hard to get rid of them other places or you don't have a wholesale retail license or whatever so i just sell all my fish at the same spot makes it easy drop them off and you're done and there's you don't have a contract about what the price is going to be no basically you go in you you um pull all the fish out of your boat and then you know they got like a little scale or whatever it's a big scale they go and they put the fish on there they'll cut the tail see if it's got color or whatever and check the bloodline and then they'll grade it. What do you mean, the, what, see if it's got color? Um, well, you have some fish that will be like like a white fish, which obviously that's kind of like a little bit lesser per pound. Oh, the white are less? Yeah. Okay. The more, they call it peach, or, you know, they'll say light peach, peach, orange. Orange obviously being the best. Whatever, because they eat those royal red shrimp, that fish we caught the uh, today and it dyes the flesh yeah it dyes it that color now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients and as often is the case those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. 
Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in they got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want land.com isn't just about buying and selling it's about finding a place to hunt fish explore or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth so it it makes for a fattier fish and that's why maybe it's more expensive when the color is in it i don't know i think it's more of like a sweeter taste or something i mean you don't really see too much fat not like a tuna you know how you have like fat content in the meat yeah or there is and you just can't really see it i mean i don't really know what they all look for for that but but it's just the guy's judgment call when he's buying your fish. Yeah. And he grades every fish. Yeah. Especially, like, on the skin color, if you threw a harpoon through the side, you know, because you did ruin some kind of meat right there because you put yep. a hole in it, and then the harpoon turned sideways. Or... Yeah, we should probably back up and talk about that because we didn't get, I meant to cover that a little bit. So you're, you're cruising along, and here's a buoy booking off in some weird direction. What do you do? Just pull up on the ball, and you'll have a basket of rope with a clip on it and you'll clip actually clip the basket onto the line and pull the buoy off so that basically okay so to get the buoy out of the way yeah that's basically like your rod and reel because you're hand fishing you know everything's with your hands so that's basically like your reel and your extra line you know fish wants to take line and that's kind of how that works so first thing is ditch the buoy and get the whole thing attached to another long line right that's a thick enough rope to handle. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. It's the same as um, what the drop. We call it a drop. You know, the the tar line that comes off the ball. Yep. It's just a giant basket of that. So then you got them, and you start to try to jack them up, pulling them. And they put up a tussle when you start pulling on them? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, you can't get around to them fast enough, and they're dead. I mean, we've pulled up, and I have 200-pounders dead, and it makes it real nice and easy. Because he just, I mean, he hasn't been dead that long. No, I mean, just, you know, sometimes, I mean, you you know, you hook them kind of deep or whatever. Oh, I got you, yeah. You know, sometimes they get wrapped up, you know, tail hooked, and, you know, they do die. Yeah, but he's still marketable because it's only been so long, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. So the ones that are still frisky, you bring them up and then gaff them or harpoon them depending on his temperament and size. Yeah, I mean, if it's a big fish... I mean, most of all the big fish, we harpoon them just kind of like an insurance thing, you know? And try to hit them up in the head. Yeah, you try. I mean, if it's a big fish, you try to get it wherever you can just for insurance. Okay. Or, if you know, sometimes fish will be swimming around the boat and never ate anything. And sometimes you get an opportunity to, you know, throw a harpoon at a free swimmer. Huh, I mean, so you'll just be looking in the light and you'll see swordfish for whatever reason. What are they drawn to? The light uh i think it's more you know you'll have other fish on you know you'll sometimes you'll have a smaller fish and a bigger fish or you got a bigger fish on the line you'll have a little bit smaller fish with them you know because it's like a 
male female thing you know normally the bigger fish is your female then your smaller fish is the male okay so you'll just all of a sudden realize here's a swordfish swimming by right and you'll grab your harpoon and stick them with the harpoon sometimes when you get lucky yeah like how often does that happen a few times a year okay not all the time but it happens and you're throwing the harpoon or jabbing it if they're close enough, you can just jab them. I mean, if they're a little deep or far or whatever, you know, you just throw it. And just see if you can get them. Yeah, and you got another basket with, I mean, I got like a thousand foot of rope in a basket too. Just in yeah, case. because then he's not played out at all. <coughs> so no. he's just going to run. Yeah, that depends where you hit him. I mean, if you hit him kind of far back or something like that, you know, you're going to, you'll be pulling on him for a while. And eventually drag him up. Yeah. And then you put a gaff in him and drag him over the side of the boat. Right. And we picked up all the cleaning. So to move us back into the future where we belong, you go down and this fish guy comes in and takes each fish and says, like, he wants to judge the color on it right. in general condition. Mm -hmm. And then what does he do? Then they just, they have a giant floor, basically, and it's just, actually, it's kind of like um, plastic pallets. Yep. And they have all, you know, laid out, and then they just, stack fish on there where there's ice under them and they you know cover them with ice they put like a you know whatever your boat name is they have like a little tag and a number for however much the fish weighed you know and they're calling and trying to sell the fish and they'll go in there pick it and put ice in a box and ship it off or and they're selling fish at the same time yeah like the other night we were we were catching fish and we had a couple nice fish that you know they're pumpkin and they were pumpkin colored yeah and, I mean, most people want those, so they sell real quick for, you know, a little more money. They were already taking them and packing them in boxes, getting rid of them, shipping them. We didn't even offload all our fish yet. So it's that fast turnaround. Sometimes. And then he he rates every fish, weighs every fish, and then you just get he just cuts you a check. Yeah, in like two weeks. Oh. Yeah, that's the only catch. <laughs> no so you don't have a 1500 pound night and then just go out and just walk out of there with a check in your pocket no which would make it seem kind of nice and it'd tidy be too nice yeah, way too nice no so, normally it's like a week and by the time they you know put it in the mail you got it normally in about two weeks so how much will the price fluctuate from day to day like is it moving all the time is it like most commodity trading where it's just like up and down up and down mostly swords i mean it's kind of it stays pretty level Around, like, September, October, I mean, it gets a little low. I mean, then. Uh, and you're saying when the guys start harpooning in the north, it drives the price down. Yeah, it drives the price down huge. And plus, I know there's a bunch of long line boats fishing up there, too. Like, on the Grand Banks or whatever. I mean, it, they're catching a lot of fish, too. So now that, like, it's winter time in the north your prices are good yeah, there's prices. not a lot of fish coming out of the north yeah normally right around like thanksgiving time the price goes back to like normal or you know depending on the weather if it's been rough for a long time you know wherever then they'll uh you know the price goes up a little higher i forget whatever that holiday is where everybody eats fish lent or something like that yeah yeah like the fish just goes through the roof around then does it yeah so if you got fish i mean Definitely making some extra money off them. There's enough people observing Lent to drive up swordfish prices? I mean, all fish. Yeah, I mean, every, oh, just fish crossing. Any, whatever is biting at that time, fish prices just go through the roof. 
And this is some of the, you were saying today, this is some of the best sword fishing you've ever seen right now. Yeah, the last couple of weeks. Perhaps because the weather up north. Yeah. Has pushed fish down. So today we went out. So we go out to fish today. That's what you're doing at night when you're out commercial fishing. And we went out today and went out to about 1,500 feet of water and explained the rig we fished today, like how, like how you rigged up and how we fished it. Basically, a fish electric reel. It's called an LP. That's just, it's an LPS 1200. That's the type of electric reel it is. Loaded with 2,500 feet. 2,500 yards. I'm sorry, 2,500 yards of 65-pound braid. Right. Which is a shitload of money worth of braided line. Yeah, it's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And then um, from there, whatever kind of rod. Some people like a long rod. Some people like a short one. Some like stiff, soft. I mean, it's whatever they like. But um, you got a rod. You got a 65-pound test. You do like a little bimini twist, which is the knot makes a loop. And then you put a wind-on leader, use a, the knots call like a cat's paw. And when you say a wind-on leader, it used to be like a big, long lead. It's a 100-foot leader, right? Right. Yeah. But there's no swivel from your braided line to your wind-on leader. So you'll tie a bimini twist, and at that wind-on leader, it'll have a loop, and the knot you tie, it's called a cat's paw. Okay. And then... Uh, Why do you not want... Oh, you don't want... Because you need to be able to reel the whole gotta thing. It's got to come on the reel. I got you. I got you. And... uh. So wind down leader means you don't need to stop at a big barrel swivel. No, you just, just suck, you got to stop. For, you got to stop at the lead. Yeah, and pull and pull the lead off. Yeah, and basically from that knot, it's whatever three or four feet, and then you got to um, use wax line and make a little loop on there to put your lead, which you'll use a long line clip and whatever pound mono you want to use. Or, yeah, and you got a ten pound lead, and from that ten pound lead, so like in in simple terms, it's like. You got the reel and the rod, and then you got 65-pound test braided line down to 10 pounds of lead, and then 100 feet of leader. Yeah, I think it's about 150 is what was on there today. And then the bait, it's a, it's a standard, it's like a J-hook with a skirt and then piece of bonito on it? Yeah, it's just like a, they call it like a Panama strip. It's kind of what kind of bait it was cut, cut as. You know, okay. sometimes you'll say a belly strip. Some people say some people actually just cut a strip, but that's called like a Panama strip. Gotcha. And you're sending this thing down, fifteen hundred feet down, because you wanted like a hundred feet off the bottom, right? Because you got one hundred fifty feet a liter. The lead's one hundred fifty feet off the bottom, right? The lead's one hundred fifty feet. I'd imagine your hooks, you know, where your bait is, it's a little under it. Yeah. And so picture like these guys want this rig to lay out flat. You can't just like open the bale on the reel and send the whole thing down because it's going to be a mess. Right. It'll tangle. Yeah, because the lead's going to be leading the way and that whole leader's just going to spiral around the main line and be screwed. Right. So they lay the rig, they, they lay the leader out, get the lead in the water, and then motor and run 1,500 feet. Meanwhile, the lead's falling, but they're driving away from the lead until they get the right amount of line out. Then you swing the boat around and come back at the point you started at. Right. So that that whole thing falls smooth and doesn't get all wrapped up. Right. And then there you are, five football fields of line out dangling around somewhere down at the bottom of the ocean. Right. And the swordfish hits, and it looks like there's a bluegill messing with it. Yeah. 
Today, them things barely even topped it. Like, you can't, you would think, so how big was the biggest, we had a, we had an 85-pound swordfish. Yeah, we had one about 85, another one like 65. You would think that thing would take that thing out of the rod holder. Think. But we're staring at it. You guys are staring at it, debating whether there was a hit or not. It is just like, like so much gets lost in that amount of line. Even though braid is so like sensitive and like it's like transmits signals so well, I always think like, like if we're jigging halibut in two hundred fifty feet of water, you can take a you can take a twelve ounce lead ball and hit the bottom. I can tell you what the bottom's like. Right. Rocky soft. Right. It's right. like it transmits it transmits that well. But when you get that much line out. It's an 85-pound fish down there hitting a bait that must weigh half a pound. Right. And it's barely registers on that rod. Yeah, that's a pretty stiff rod, too. I mean, if you use a little something a little bit lighter, I mean, you'll see a little more of like a tip bounce or something. You know, I like a little bit, you know, longer, heavier rod. Okay. And then when that thing hits, you don't take it out of the rod holder. No. You throw the switch. And it takes about what? How many minutes? Uh, I don't know. Probably about f- 10 minutes or so. I think it's more say. than that, man. 10, 12 minutes, 20 minutes. The Just suspense sl- kills you. It really doesn't even oh. take that long. <laughs> oh, you think that's what it is? <laughs> I think so. Because you throw that switch. Like, you're 1,500 feet of water, but there's like some scope and belly. Like, there's some scope in the line and there's some belly in the line. So the readout on that reel says 2,500 feet. Yeah. And... You got to sit there and watch that thing count down. That's what takes for so long. If you just look away, eventually it would come a lot quicker. I would like do it, look, and I'd be like, oh, it's 1,700 feet. Look, and then a while later. But then pretty soon it gets to like 300 feet, and then you start getting excited. At 100 feet, here comes the lead. Right. I have personal experience with looking away. Because I did it. on the second fish today. So it, it, how long did you it think still, it was? It still, I wasn't looking at my watch, but it still felt like a long time. Yeah, I, so was, I was hanging on the off the uh, t top, going, "There's Fort Lauderdale, there's Fort Lauderdale." I look over my shoulder, and be like, "Man, that thing still hasn't come up." Back to Fort Lauderdale. I wasn't going to return to me like having uh, of me like sort of like slowly falling out of love with the honest as the. Um, <laughs> Couldn't find it in himself to take interest in our fish that we were ha- that we, I can't say we were fighting it, but that we were that we were watching the the thing play out. A lot of people would hate that kind of fishing. Yeah, it's like I was trying to tell you, it is kind of boring. You know, there's not. I would say that those people aren't very smart. I mean, I like it, especially when you see a big one. You know, you see one come up, you know, three, four, five hundred pounds, and it's. It's pretty cool. That's what, you know, it's like going deer hunting. You know, you go somewhere where you can go shoot a bunch of low ones or you go, you know, spend the time trying to kill big ones. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's like, um, it's like you're transmitting signals into outer space when you're fishing that deep. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to even imagine yourself being on the same planet as the fish. When you're fishing for a fish 1,500 feet away. Some people like, and I like the immediacy too. Like I like sight casting the fish, which is fun. But I also like when you're sort of, it's like talking to E.T., man. Right. Like when you're, when you're like got that much line out and you can't even picture what it looks like down there. I mean, no one really They're in knows. another world, man. They're in the black. 
They really are. Oh, nearly black. It's like, but you're up here in the sunshine looking, you know, watching Giannis. And <laughs> down the there is like, yeah, and, down, and then 1,500 feet away at the bottom of like an ocean, you know, you, you can't go down there with scuba tanks. And he's just down in some other planet. Then all of a sudden you throw that switch and all of a sudden here he is back up in your world. I love it. It's cool when they come up too. They're all silver and purple. Oh, then they yeah, hit the man. deck and they're just like brown looking. It's like crazy how they change colors that fast too. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. I liked it. And we had one, like, I don't know, how long do you think we had the first set out for? I don't know. You're watching your watch. What was it about 20, 30 minutes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. And, and, and how far did we drift? I don't even think it was a mile. We didn't even drift a mile. And then the second time we sat down, I mean, the minute it got down. Yeah, I told him, I said, I'll make a short drift for you. I'm like, we got to drop one more time, though. It took longer to get it down yeah, it than took... it did for the fish to be on there. Yep. And blam, another swordfish. I thought I was I thought I was tripping. I thought I seen something. I'm like, eh, maybe. And then it really was. It it plays tricks on you too, especially when you sit there for a couple hours. You're like, oh, that was a bite. No, it wasn't. Yeah, because what you're watching, like, there's wave action. So as you're riding up on a swell, the the rod loads, and then you get to the top of the swell, and the rod sort of the rod sort of relaxes and goes straight. And then you, and then or it loads. Then you start to drop down, and the rod goes sort of slack, and falls, and then repeats itself. And you kind of memorize the cycle, and you're looking for like an interruption in the cycle. Right. And the interruption could be on the ride up. There's like a, a pause, as the swell brings you up, or on the drop down, it's like a like a stutter. Right. And that's all you're really looking for. Yep. Sometimes you don't see it at all, and you look over, and the rod just buckled over, and you're like, oh, got him on, hit the oh, really? and You're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> caught me sleeping, but got him, caught him sleeping. You know, like, you guys like to fish crappies, right? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But it's like, I like to fi I fish a lot of small fish. But I also like to fish for big fish. Like, we like to catch halibut. But when you spend all that time fishing small fish, and then you catch a swordfish that big, which isn't even huge, but like it's a swordfish and they're kind of like all meat. They have a high yield. I start picturing if I was going to take all that meat and make a pile and then start flaying yellow perch and I had to flay enough yellow perch to match that pile. <laughs> it makes me feel like small fish don't make sense. Don't, it's about a bite of filet. It's like, yeah, if, I, if someone said, okay, you clean perch until you've matched those piles up. Or clean crappie until you make me a pile of meat the size of the pile of meat we got off the small swordfish. That'd be a couple hundred. A few oh, hundred. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. we, hundreds. We, It'd we be hundreds <laughs> of crappie. We, f we spec fish all season and probably won't even amount to one fish. One swordfish. Yeah. Oh, one of the things, too, like, you know, I, and I'm a freshwater guy, you know, the, you know, I've been out with Ryan. You're a gladesman. I'm a gladesman. And, uh, but I will say that my other, the passion for me in saltwater and is going with him and buoy fishing the is nighttime, right? because when you, you know, I've been with him a few times and then I, I went with him, just me and him and got the, you know, I made it for him. And you, when you grab that line on a big fish 
and you're you grab you know and i fought gate you know hunt gators you know fought gators and that but when you grab a swordfish and you're pulling that line you you know and i'm a pretty big guy when i grab you know when you grab a hold of them and you actually feel the power that that fish has you you don't got nothing for him yeah. there you know and that's what he you know when when i went out with him he's like look you know i was trying he says look <laughs> when he wants to go let him go because you ain't gonna stop him you know when they they are they're pretty gnarly fish when they want to go they go you know powerful that's what oh there's something like really shocking about them yeah it's like a prehistoric fish kind of and he comes you know? up with that blade yeah sticking out of his nose yeah and then when you got you know when we went and you you know even we harpooned them and then gaffed them and get them in the boat and they go you know nuts in the boat and that bill gets going it's just i don't know it, that's you know if i would say i like to go i'm like total opposite i'll either like to go bass fishing or i want to go sword fishing i don't have no interest in the trolling the you know sail fishing nothing like that i want to go pull hand gear yeah, That's, you either you know. want to finesse a large mouth and let them go, or <laughs> or go catch stick, a stick a harpoon into a five hundred pound swordfish. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, they're it's just something like you were saying, like ET. It's at something like out of the world when you, even with the buoys, you know, you're pulling on them, you don't see them, and then all of a sudden when he lights up in the light of the boat and you see him, it's like you know, it's like when you see a big buck, your heart like yeah, you know, skips a beat for a minute. Yeah, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Yeah. yeah, watching a big fish come out of the depths is is like kind of awe inspiring and like surprising. Yeah, has have has, does that go away now that you've done it so long? I mean, as long as you could be doing it. I, now that because I was plugging you guys as being single fellers, mid twenties. You're both in your mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. I'm 29. I'm late twenties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more than mid. Yeah. What's uh? I should ask. Um what's your window right like i always figured my window personally like gr like whatever if i imagine like my window i was always being like generally i would be imagining that it would be within five years of my age like when i was before i was married before i met my wife said if you had to guess how old would this potential spouse be i would say i bet she's you know not gonna be younger than five years younger me but probably not older than five years older if you say there's a substantial window that's a 10-year window <laughs> right if there's 360 million americans 51 percent are female and then you got a 10-year window to catch them all there are tens of millions of potential mates <laughs> in this country a, and that's not even talking window. about other countries like crappie <laughs> <laughs> She's got to be able to clean fish. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to do a fish analogy to bring this all back together. So, so, so at 29, you're cool. So you're 29. You're cool going back to 24. Are you okay to hop ahead to 34? Yeah, heck yeah, man. Okay, so that's order, a big window. Order the berry that's, sweet or the juice. A, yeah, it's a slot, it's a slot limit. It's a well, slot we got limit. about 20 to 50. <laughs> so, all right, so there's two. Yeah, so uh, women in this area, if you're looking for um, – um, you guys both gainfully employed. Yeah. Avid outdoorsman. Yep. Prone to getting in airboat crashes, <laughs> but not their fault. Yeah. These guys have both been basically you've both been run over by pe other <laughs> run over by other less experienced boaters. Yeah. Wrong. Uh. Uh. You know what they say. Um. In the wrong place at the wrong time, pretty much. And you guys both know how to cook. Yeah, because I said you cooked us alligator, you cooked us 
bullfrog. You cooked this frozen French fries. Um, how'd you guys cook your frog legs? They were good. Uh, we just battered them, you know, like a little Cajun, Cajun batter. It was a fine, not even, it was like a breading. Yeah. Like a fine breading. <laughs> yeah, this is, I don't like to get crazy. You know, a lot of people like to get crazy with the breading, and I feel like it takes away from your meat, you know. Um, I like to use a little lighter, you know, a little more cornmeal base, you know. And then we'll put like a little, you know, we yeah, so it little, was a breading. What you guys didn't actually, it wasn't like a wasn't like wet. A it didn't go wet, on wet, wet batter, right? No, nah, it's just like a you don't even got. We don't. We actually don't even use like an egg batter with it. Just a you wet. You know, just make sure it's moist and yeah. You know, and then we put a little Creole seasoning in it, and in the flour, Tony's, in the cornmeal, Tony's Creole seasoning. Um. I, I noticed the on the windowsill you got some Yeah, I think some it's the Tony's is what it yeah. is, yeah. Either Tony's or Zatarain's, one of the two. I know Zatarain's. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've always been a Tony's man. I mean, I like a lot of stuff, but I like Tony's. Yeah. And then uh, you make a secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the secret sauce? Before I leave it a secret. Oh. Yeah, it wouldn't be secret if we told you the secret. <laughs> okay, like, give me a rough sketch on the secret sauce. It's... Have you been to like Bonefish Grill? You no. ever been to a Bonefish Grill? Oh yeah, Bonefish Grill. Yeah, they do like a bang bang shrimp. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's kind of like a like a spinoff of their version. You know, it's it's you know sriracha, some red chili. You know, like the chili pepper sauce, a little ketchup, other things. <laughs> other secret, other secret items. Secret. Yeah. They're all on the kitchen counter over there. <laughs> Got to milk a couple frogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good, man. This has been like a really educational couple days for me. And, a, and like a handful of different activities. And then the swordfish and stuff was just kind of shocking to me. I think I'll be talking about that for a long time. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Especially when you catch them that quick. Yeah. Makes it What if we leave the dock at nine? We are Already running home by what, eleven fifty? Yeah, caught two, two big, two big huge fish laying in the bottom two of the boat. Monsters. Yeah. Uh, Yanni, concluding thoughts? Any final big questions? Big eye on those uh, swordfish. You like that eyeball, huh? Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right, where yeah. they live. But uh, you don't catch fish that have an eye that. I mean, that thing might be bigger than your eye. Two, definitely two to three inches. That's a good point. Big right. round as a Copenhagen can. There you go. <laughs> Ryan, right your, your uh, mate that was out with us was talking about when you bring a – he's talking about bringing a Mako up in the boat, and he says when you're walking around the boat, that Mako watches and follows you. It does. Sketchy. You can see him following <laughs> you, following you with his eyeball as you walk around he the does, boat. He does, waiting to bite you. Yeah, we killed a couple of those. Well, I did have one other la final question. Please, where, where airboat culture outside of Southern Florida? Like, where where else do you find it? Um, Nebraska, the Platte River. They they actually have um, uh, they have pretty big event up there every year. They call it Thunder on the Loop. They do like races that you know, which they that's like a that's like car motorboat territory. You know, they run a lot of which down here too. You know, there's a lot, but um. You know, Louisiana, like you guys, Louisiana, Louisiana, Bayou. Texas, um, Mexico, you know, a lot of the duck hunting, you know, they got a lot of the duck hunting operations down there. They use them. Alaska. 
Alaska. For car- caribou and moose hunters using <laughs> yep. airboats. And you see guys even fishing salmon out of airboats. I mean, even, um, you know, Illinois, um, there's start, you know, there is some airboat in there that I've, you know, heard about through conversations and that. Um, but I would say as far as recreational airboat use, South Florida, Central Florida is like the Mecca for it. You know, and we have multiple actual manufacturers here uh diamondback airboats cto stossel airboats um actual classic um lumatech like actual places where you can go get a production built boat you know i've been in the which we were up what last year at diamondbacks plant uh pretty cool operation to see how they actually i mean you go from where our boats were built where it's kind of a one-man shop hand-built Paul's uh, aircraft riveted, you know, everything's done with hand jigs, where Diamondback, everything's done by, they have actual jigs built, they have, it's like a line, you know, guys welding hauls. Um, like they're cranking them out. Yeah, they crank them out. You yeah. know, more like your um, agencies, you know, FWC, you know, they go as far as Louisiana and that, you know, they buy more from them now. Um and that's you know on that touching on that you know so there there is actually it's a pretty decent sized industry here for that so we're in ground zero of airbolt culture yeah i would say um our, our friend i keep thinking my concluding thought i'm gonna do it right now is our uh, guy we work with garrett dirt myth he'd like it down here because people like to chew tobacco <laughs> and he loves chewing but none of us will chew with him <laughs> he'd come down here drive around in airboats having to chew <laughs> dude, be like, dude be in heaven man and he likes to turn a wrench he likes to, he likes yeah. to fix shit and so. yeah he likes uh motor sports likes chewing tobacco motor sports he'd be all over yeah. this he'd man. fit in and, and you know what's, you know what's interesting about all this is that just the other day we were driving around and uh i don't know what we were doing we were uh we're at the airport maybe getting those immigration not the immigration the customs forms for guns going to mexico anyways we were we're early and the guy wouldn't see us early we had to show up on time so we went to get a beer and uh it was snowing and it was kind of cold and he's like yanni you know i'm kind of getting over the winter really yeah so we might have just found his you know his new place he likes the Uh ice climb though this yeah. guy's so into motors that when he sees a like he's I've seen him be almost moved to tears by super cubs. <laughs> yeah, moved to tears by it. it. Just like just like strikes him somewhere down deep. Uh, Matt Cook, you know I was just talking about Ryan and Josh. You know the reason I come down here is they really uh, represent kind of the essence of South Florida. Where I mean, as far as you got commercial fishing, and it's fun to see how that whole thing plays out. Obviously, Josh. Uh, amateur, trying to be professional bass fishermen on Okeechobee, et cetera. It's just fun to see also, their, their passion about, for the outdoors. You, I didn't know this. I know you yeah. like to fish bass, but you wanted to become yeah. a tournament bass I, fisherman. I've fished a lot of tournaments, um, fished some amateur event. you know, a lot of amateur. Obviously, we have, you know, tons of, tur- you know, amateur event team tournaments here, um, fished some FLW outdoors events, and – you know, got some aspirations to go pro, you know, one day, you know, sooner or later. I I, I like specializing in what we do because our style of fishing is, you know, unique in its own. You know, uh, they just had a tour level event on the lake with, on Okeechobee, which is, 
you know, they travel throughout the country. And it's neat because, you know, what's it's hand in hand. When the Florida guys go north, Alabama, Tennessee, River Valley, Lakes, you know, Gunnersville, real popular, you know, bass fishing, um, we tend to, yeah, we struggle a little bit because we're so shallow-minded. I mean, I don't I don't ever use a depth finder. You know, we're shallow minded meaning shallow water. <laughs> shallow water. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like we're <laughs> like you were talking uh, sight fishing where I'm a I'm a Yeah, you don't know yeah. about like we don't fish ledges and you know, here and there, but we don't fish deep water, clear water. Yeah. You know, we're used to fishing, you know, punching is what we call it, which is, a, you know, using a one ounce. I know to, about punching. Yeah, punching mats, you know. I got a, you, you probably heard of him. The uh, he's, an, he's an amateur bass angler out of Oregon, um, Matt <laughs> Elliott. No, I'm joking, you wouldn't have heard of him. But, um, yeah, he told me, I, he, he broke the whole world of bass fishing down, and he's, like, also talks about all the different bass cultures. But yeah. he's from fishing smallmouth and moving water in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I'd very be, different oh yeah. i'd be lost that's there. more like fishing that'd be like from your perspective that'd be more like fishing for swordfish <laughs> yeah, yeah you know that's you know and on our side we're fishing heavy cover you know thick vegetation that's kind of that's my specialty and um you know where a lot of guys are more into the finesse yeah you know i, I mean when i go bass fishing i'm fishing with a seven eleven seven and eleven inch rod almost eight foot rod extra heavy action 65 pound braid like it's you got to get him out of the junk because when you flip in there you know the glory of fish in florida is any flip can be a 10 pound fish you know um on lake okeechobee when the when the when it's when the lake is producing at its top um depending on conditions and the you know obviously we had a hurricane come through this year and that actually you know changed even the Everglades, it changed a lot of our landscape, if you call it. Yeah. Um, so that affects things, you know. It uh, and one of the cool things about Florida and our fisheries is in the freshwater world and the bass fishing is it changes a lot. So it's always adjusting. You know, you'll hear guys, you know, pros, guys that fish, you know, for a living, they come down here and they, you know, they'll come down and have GPS marks from last year and they'll say they just erase everything and start all over because it doesn't, you know, yeah, shifting. it's constantly changing. So you ever fry up any large mouths? Yeah. Um, oh, not you do. A, Good for you. Not in a long time. I, I'm, I'm kind of, it's like one of those things where now I fit, you know, I, I have a hard time killing one. But on. as a kid, you, as a kid, <laughs> yeah, you guys well, ate them. Yeah. My dad, my dad's a redneck. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I'm a redneck, but my dad is. My dad's from the old school. I mean, it, it's hard for him to put back. You know, <laughs> he looks at, you know, we always mess with him. We go deer hunting. We say he don't see horns. When they walk out, he sees pork chops. Is what we say. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of, you know, but we, you know, I, I don't, I really don't like, I could tell you a good story about Matt. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, but Matt, finish up your concluder, though. Your concluding thought. No, I just, uh, you know, I think people enjoy Florida for the the beaches. You know, you always hear about Miami and and or the West Coast, Naples. But for me, the essence of Florida is is kind of the center of the state. And what's fun to come down here in this area is you obviously can freshwater fish, and then you know, for everyone listening, you're only ten minutes away, fifteen, and you can go deep water fishing. I mean, so oh yeah, yeah, that's we people, we woke yeah. up this morning in the uh, in the swamp house, the swamp yeah. stilt house, and fish the offshore 
Yeah, people can't conceive of that you can do all of that in a three-day period. Yeah, we had to take an airboat to get into the big boat. Yeah, we almost squeezed in uh, largemouth on Okeechobee and and uh, um, striper hunting. You know, so it's just a magnificent place for the outdoors. You can't you can do so many things in a short period of time. So that's the reason I come down. And these two guys have opened my eyes to it. Sportsman's paradise. Gladesman. I am a wannabe gladesman, which is totally different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guest gladesman. Yeah, guest gladesman. Ryan, you got any concluding thoughts? Just anything you wanted to stick in there, couldn't stick in there? No, I can't really think of too much. Yeah. Um. How, how old do you think you want to be before you get married? <laughs> like, what would be like, do you, do you have in your head like a cutoff at which you'd, I think that people should be married personally i'm not leaning on you yet about it but i think that people should be married i think it'll do a lot for your fishing yeah i won't have to go anymore no hopefully she's got a bunch of money (laughs) it gives you clarity of mind yeah yeah we'll talk about this later um (laughs) all right everyone thanks for joining us You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.